Welcome back to Big Fiction Energy. Uh, you may have noticed that we sound a lot better. Yeah, we do. <laughs> smooth. Velvety I, smooth. I can stand sitting here talking to you people yeah. for <laughs> the next little while now. <laughs> you couldn't stand it before? No, I actually really enjoyed it before. Now I enjoy it more. Oh, now good. I have to stand because uh, I'm applauding. It's like an encore. <laughs> Round of applause. Um, so now that uh, Big Fiction Energy has joined the Professional Casual Network, we've got a sweet setup. This is the first episode yeah. that we've been able to use this stuff for. We have, like, equipment. Not just the microphone built into the <laughs> into a Chromebook borrowed all, from school. We're all, like, snuggled around it like a campfire or yeah. something, like, so that you can get your voice heard in the microphone. Oh, no. Our last episode, we did get it to work with the Blue Yeti microphone, but now we have sweet personal microphones. Yeah. We got headphones set up ready to go. You know. Oh, it's on our heads listening. So it's hopefully you guys uh, everybody listening can hear that uh increase in quality that way. I'm really excited about it. And yeah. hopefully our increase in quality will also increase the quantity of listens and right. likes and shares and subscriptions. Yeah. Yeah, you can uh encourage others to listen to the podcast. Tell your mom, tell your friends, tell your friend's mom. Write a review wherever you're listening to yeah. it. Yeah. Apple a podcast big... review goes a long way. It, it really does. It, it helps other people find us. Yeah. And everybody wants to be found. I mean, I do. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so to jump in with our, our, our new um, kind of standard thing for our, our intro here is I got a question that we're all going to discuss a little bit. Um, so I was having a hard time thinking one for today. So Danny came up with a question. Do you want to ask? I don't remember. Do you remember what he suggested? I don't. So we had pizza and wings for dinner tonight hmm. and we're talking about it over dinner. And she was like, well, there's a classic question right there. Flats or drums? Do you like the chicken wing with one bone or two bones? I mean, is there a question? <laughs> it's just one correct answer and it's flats. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm a flats person. Too. Well, I know you suggested this because you knew that I would be the odd man out because I do prefer drums. I mean, I like both. I just like chicken wings in general. But yeah. Just I, consider, though, Tim and I would be the worst chicken wing eating companions because we'd both be going for the flats. Correct. Whereas, right. Dan, you are the perfect person for either of us to eat wings with because yeah. you, you get the crappy one bone drums. <laughs> That are okay. just all more white meat. You know what I mean? There's not like, white meat, it's dark meat, but... It's like connective stuff in there. Yeah. I don't know. No, I feel like there's more meat on them, but like I said, I'll There is either. more meat on it, and that's my issue with it, is I want more surface area for more skin and more sauce or dry rub. Mm. I mean, that's totally fair. Okay. I do. Wings are kind of a delivery system for whatever sauce they're at. Yeah. Like, a, to me, a, a good cheeseburger is a delivery system for better toppings. <laughs> mm. Hmm. Now, I mean, see, I'm a, I'm a minimalist when it comes to burgers. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't like a salad on there. That's not why I'm getting a burger. Well, uh, no, I don't want lettuce. But it makes like... it quite slippery, too. <laughs> if you put too much on yeah. there, and then if the patty is too big, I, I feel like it was Elton Brown on his Good Eats show talked about the bun-to-patty ratio yeah. with, like, mm -hmm. condiments and toppings. And if you get too much in there, and then you've got to set it down for something and pick it back up, it, like, yes. right out of your hands. You're going to lose it. And then you feel like a loser cutting your burger in half to eat it in a restaurant. Ugh. I've definitely yeah. done that. I, I okay. have, too, <laughs> but not normally because the burger is soundly constructed. Right. And I feel like it's, like, a... 
a not even passive, passive aggressive hint when they serve it with a steak knife just stabbed into the center That's of it. The whole, like the onion rings that are that come with it on I top. I don't get my burger with onion rings though, That's fool. True. No, they always go. The place you're talking about always has onion rings on top. No, there are other places other than that one though well, that I'm do it. Thinking of a local place that's delicious. I've certainly seen that as a as a thing before. You know, I've and I feel like that's places, like yeah. a a hint. Like you're gonna cut this, and like is this is a challenge. I feel like a lot of yeah. like the casual dining burger chains have that. Do that like Applebee's and like Chili's or whatever. They have the knife in it already. I'm like, you stab my food. I was gonna do that myself <laughs> with my teeth. <laughs> I do really appreciate, especially in the casual dining or above experience for the burger. The onion rings that are served with it or on it, potentially if you're getting like a barbecue or a Texas or Western Western burger, um, way too much onion in the onion ring itself. Mm. I like Often, yeah. the onion straws or the little onion. I don't know what you call them, but I like yeah. the smaller French crispier. fried onions. Yeah. And it's so much harder because the the onion doesn't cook enough. Correct. When it's fried. So then when you're biting it, you bite it, and then the whole, like, whoop. Yeah, you get slapped in the chin by a wet, (laughs) hot, piece of onion. (laughs) No one wants to get slapped in the face with a wet, hot piece of onion. Right. No. Like, ow. And then you're left with this husk of batter. Right, which that's I mean, the good part. I'm gonna eat it. It is delicious. You're gonna dip it into some kind of sauce, and it becomes mm-hmm. a delivery system for that tasty sauce. Usually, mm. like blue cheese, that's maybe gross. ranch. That's, that's also <laughs> gross. I want in a perfect burger. I want meat, obviously. Yeah. Uh, cheese, bacon, maybe some crispy onion straws, that or some really hot sauce or barbecue sauce. Barbecue sauce. That's about it. Yeah, that's ideal. It's done. Rodeo See, burger from Burger King, perfect burger. Yeah, I love the rodeo burger. Um, so I, the only thing I'd add to that is uh, pickles, mm. a tomato, and maybe raw. Well, you said onion, so no. Who wants a, a greasy, warm tomato? That's it's gross. I do like what? tomatoes on my burger. Really? It needs to be real thin, though. A lot of places do it too thick. Yeah, the slice of the tomato should be real thin. Yep. I just want the girthy. taste of tomato. Girthy, I don't want it to really. take over. That's the thing. I don't want it to become too girthy and trying to eat a Dagwood and it won't fit in my mouth. Right. I'm not Sasquatch. Yeah. I really need people to stop bringing up squatches in a negative light. <laughs> what? Like. <laughs> this has happened often lately? Well, this happens all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I think people are really hard on squatches. I d- they have large mounds. No, not always. That's the thing. You, you, you know assume, a lot of squatches personally? Well, obviously, yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't be upset. You can't yeah. get upset about something if you don't know one to reference. You can, oh, I feel like there's a lot of people in this country that need to hear that. <laughs> no, I think they all know somebody yeah. that knows somebody, and that's why they're allowed to be. Just um, like I know multiple squatches. Sure. Paul. You're one of the lucky ones. Yep. I guess I just have a prejudice... You obviously do, and that's why you don't have squatches, squatch I friends. I think they have big mouths right. to eat a giant burger. And, you know, running... That's why I don't have friends? No, that's why you don't have squatch friends. Oh, yeah. I was like, wow, that was mean. <laughs> I'm sad now. No, I'm sure, like, you could. You're like a squatch predator. <laughs> they view you as, like, what? When was I'm the last friends with that guy. When was the last get-together you had where you invited a squatch? Maybe it's on you, Dan. I mean, that's true. I've never invited a squatch to a get-together. Boom. Toasted. Yeah. All right, well, like if there are any squatches bun. listening, yeah. send but me a comment. But not too much, because you don't want it to, like, cut your mouth open. 
Right. You don't want it dried. Yes. You want it dried slight, squatch? Slightly toasted and buttered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. Well, that question went about exactly where I thought it was going to. Yeah. <laughs> the wing question going to burgers for Yeah, why not? <laughs> A food tangent, as all good food tangents do. Um, can we rewind a little bit to chapter eight and how that ended with the wanderer the wanderer, the wanderer. and madaluega and madagaluega did Madaga- i say that right madagaluega no? <laughs> i make like a toad no face whenever i say it and just make madagaluega imagine <laughs> my mouth looks like a, a the sad face with the parenthesis <laughs> I mean, you're saying it right, so it works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You want? What did you want to run into that about? I don't know. I just wanted to maybe refresh listeners' memories of how cool the Wanderer is with his flaming sword, cutting these robots in half. S word. Yeah. <sighs> Dang. And so they are. Could you describe um, the uh, Marauders? Yes. Thank you. One more time. Yeah. Sure. Why not? So they're like seven to eight foot tall. Uh, they look like robots in a way. They have, they're just metal. Um, sometimes there's like wiring type stuff exposed. Um, and they have really long arms and legs. I imagine them very similar to General Grievous from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, but just with two arms. A personal favorite of mine. I've never seen that movie, but I really like General Grievous. He's got four arms, and I think that's cool. Never seen episode three? No. What? Really? Yeah. That's very surprising. Uh, you know, I should. I mean, it's I the only to. movie he's in. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I might not have seen the second one either. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. I've definitely seen The Phantom Menace. I mean, parts of that are really good. Is that the one with uh, Count Deku? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were more into Star Wars than that. I'm surprised. Yeah, I am. That's why I don't really particularly, you know have knowledge of the prequels (laughs) (laughs) they have their moments for sure um but yeah but they're just like bolt gun metal um exposed how big is their mouth they don't have mouths ah so that's why they're different Mm. than squatches outside of being metal they also have no mouth as compared to so uh, they're they're like they're what you would call their face looks like a like a helmet of old like a full face helm so oh. like they have like eye slits, they have red glowing eyes, like deep inside, but they don't actually have a face. Kind of like Optimus Prime in his faceplate. Mm. Cool. Which Star Wars movie is he from? All of them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's what they're trying to blow up all the time. Oh, that's right. I just imagined like behind the faceplate that scene from Men in Black when, it, like. They hit the little button by yeah. the guy's chin, and it flops up, and there's just this little tiny alien in oh, there. Like, ah, no, Marauders don't have little tiny aliens driving them. Orion's <laughs> belt. It's a little two-inch alien just driving them. I wish I could remember what it was called, but I can't. Beep boop. An alien, I think. Oh, it is called an alien, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Jen. Thanks. I did it. Uh, but yeah, that's what episode eight left off with, this kind of little side scene. Wanderer doing something, being cool shooting wind out of his hands. Um, and then... I do that from other places. <laughs> uh, Lainey and Brutus, we're moving along with the caravan. That's what we're going to jump back into for ep- Chapter 9. Cool. So we're going to check that out, and we'll see you guys afterwards for a uh, little deep dive into the chapter and talking about 
uh, that kind of stuff and other things on the network. Stuff and things. Chapter 9. Closer. Lainey collapsed onto her bedroll as soon as she could. The day had been quite taxing. Although she was in great shape and strong, walking for kilometers and kilometers took its toll. She reached down and rubbed her sore feet where blisters were starting to form. She made a mental note to ask Cass what she should do to treat her feet better. Obviously, her current boots were not ideal for this kind of trek. She tried rubbing her own feet, but it just didn't work. She collapsed back onto the bedroll and let out a groan. She was exhausted and hurt all over. Besides her feet, her knees and hips ached. Even her neck was sore from looking back and forth along the trail all day. Nothing exciting happened, which Lainey tried to see as a good thing. Lainey was woken out of her self-pitying by a cough outside her tent. The canvas didn't lend itself well to knocking, so someone was trying a different way to get her attention. Just a sec. Lainey crawled to the opening of her tent. She untied the knot holding the flaps closed, and Cass's face appeared. You all right in there? Yeah, just sore. Lainey moved back to let Cass in. The small tent was partially lit by a single candled lantern hanging from the pitch ceiling of the tent. The flames of the campfire allowed some light in as well, but the tent was lit just well enough for someone to put on their clothes without having everything on backwards. So glad I don't have watch tonight. You lucky too? Yeah. Cass sat next to Lainey. We try not to give the new people watch the first night. We know how hard the first day of travel can be for someone not used to it. Don't worry, you'll get your chance. Cass's white teeth practically shone in the ill-lit tent. Maybe I can help. Where are you sore? Oh man, my feet hurt so bad. I figured as much. Let me see what I can do. Cass moved around in the small space and positioned herself at the far end of the tent, sitting on her knees facing Lanny. She picked up one of Lanny's feet and began to rub the soles, kneading with her thumbs. Lanny dropped her head back and couldn't help but moan in pleasure. Wow. was all Lanny could get out. Cass smiled and continued rubbing the arch of each of Lanny's feet. Have fun today? Mm-hmm. We'll have to get you new shoes soon. Those boots are ruining your feet. I could do this for you every night, but better boots would be more practical. Lainey risked a look up to see if she could tell if Cass was joking or not. The smile on her face didn't reveal much. Cass finished with one foot and moved on to the next. It felt just as good as the first time. You and Brutus are proving to be quite the acquisition. Da said that he was impressed with how you were today. Very professional. He's not worried about the trip at all with you two back there. Normally, he only has Nash to rely on. Not that he's not trustworthy or skilled, but he's just one little primal. Cass looked up at Lainey and realized she had stopped making sounds. Candle and lantern was almost out, as they were designed to last a short time. No one wanted a fiery tent after they fell asleep. Cass slowly crawled up back towards Lanny's head as the tent got darker. She saw that Lanny's eyes were closed and her breathing was steady. She's asleep, Cass thought to herself. She must be really exhausted. Cass found Lanny's blanket in the growing gloom and covered her feet. Just as the candle winked out, Cass leaned forward and kissed Lanny's forehead gently and whispered, Good night, city girl. The wanderer sprinted through the tall grass, his hair tied up into a new top knot. His sword was sheathed, his bare feet were slapping the ground as hard as he ran. A strong wind blew behind him, speeding him onwards. He had ground to make up to keep pace with the marauders. He was faster than them by a lot, but they didn't have to rest. Their mechanical bodies were powered by void magic and, he- and could keep on the move indefinitely. The wanderer, as powerful as he was, still had to rest and sleep. While he was dreaming of ages past, the bots continued their migration, getting ever closer to the trade route. Now, in the late of dawn, the Wanderer was rested and nearly flying to catch up with the bots. 
needed to reduce the size of the group by at least a few more if the caravan stood any chance once they were intercepted. The Wanderer worked tirelessly to keep people safe. It was his life's work to protect those that couldn't protect themselves from the void. The Wanderer was worried about the caravan. He had followed the travelers to the outskirts of Gaul and watched over them. He knew they were now on their way to Frank and needed his protection more than ever. While the Wanderer was correct to worry and try to help the caravan, he did not know of the recent acquisitions. An hour after midday, a glint of silver caught the Wanderer's eye. The group of marauders, colloquially known as a scrap, were moving at a brisk walk directly south. The large machines were in no particular hurry. They knew they were close to their quarry. The Wanderer could hear the tiny susurrus of their movements. The shards of metal that made up the marauders constantly slid against each other, creating a steady sound that wasn't unlike a strong wind blowing through a forest. The creatures left behind a clear trail of ruddy oil leaking from the wounds left by the Wanderer the day before. The man knew he could dart in and dismember a few of them before they noticed. He was well rested and thought he could risk something more impressive this time, as long as he was rested for the remainder of the day. The man kept low in the tall grass, sneaking up on the bots. His experience led him to believe that the scrap had all their listening and probing devices trained ahead of them, looking for a possible caravan. The wanderer closed the gap swiftly, slashing out with his sword, separating the torso of a bot from its legs. The rest of the scrap wheeled about immediately, moving in perfect unison. 57E. F, H, and the remains of 57J. Hold it off. We are nearing our sustenance. The leader, Madagalawega, announced. All but three of the bots turned and continued on their way. Fight me! The wanderer shouted in his ancient voice. The three bots surrounded him while the separated marauder's torso began to crawl towards him menacingly. The wanderer growled in frustration. These four would only take minutes to dispatch, but the main group would get far in that time. They were visibly upping their pace. That and even a small scuffle like this would drain the old man enough that he might not be able to catch back up today. Four would have to do for now. The man adopted a guarded stance and readied himself for the rush of the bots. The next day passed much like the day before. Lanny and Brutus marched along with the van, chatting with Nash, getting to know the strange primal. Besides his obsession with whatever slop was, Nash was an interesting character. Having grown up in a small primal village, Nash was culturally isolated. His bat primal people, Vespers, had their own way of living that was quite different from the world at large. Lanny was shocked that there were people living out here that were doing so well. Living in Gaul, she was always told and taught that people did not dare live outside the walls. The wilds were supposed to be uninhabitable, a wasteland full of monsters and other creatures that would tear you limb from limb as soon as they saw or smelled you. The reality was shockingly different, something Lanny was not prepared for. Nash had one major issue, besides the slop, that kept him guarding the last vehicle. He did not understand the concept of personal possessions. In his village, everything was shared. They lived communally in one large cave. Food was collected and shared altogether. After his village was destroyed by marauders, he was later taken as a slave by the flesh-renders, where he met the rest of the group. Even though that was years ago, Nash is still not acclimated to the culture of the rest of the world. Lunch was another new experience for Lanny. A bowl of hot rice with charred pheasant and hit her taste buds like sledgehammer. She just wanted to keep eating, but knew she had to restrain herself. The best part of lunch was the break for her feet. Massive blisters had formed, making each and every step more painful than the last. She hazily remembered Cass coming to her tent the night before and doing something with her feet, which helped, but couldn't remember much more than that. She was pretty sure she fell asleep while Cass was helping her, but she was too embarrassed to ask yet. Again, by the end of the day, she was completely exhausted. She barely tasted her dinner of roasted fish of some kind. It was good, but she hardly noticed. She was concentrating more on keeping her eyes open long enough to eat it. Brutus seemed wiped out as well, but he wasn't showing it as overtly. He munched his dinner of beans and skunk cabbage and chatted with Dart happily. 
After Lainey's head bounced back up from falling asleep sitting for the third time, Brutus gently took her plate and said, I think it's time you got some rest. I'll cover your watch shift tonight. I'm used to working on little sleep. Lainey nodded her head and stumbled off to her tent, again collapsed onto her bedroll. Just before she fell fully asleep, she heard the same cough as the night before. Sobbing. Lainey mumbled into her bedroll. Cass came in again. This time the tent was even darker as Lainey didn't bother to light the candle before falling. Mind if I pop in? Cass asked quietly. Lainey grunted, uh... Uh-huh. And nodded her head. You ready for sleep already? You're still dressed in your traveling clothes. You'll sleep better in fresh cloth. Lainey lifted her head enough to see Cass in the half-light, out of her leathers, wearing a simple cloth shift and short pants. The clothes were not quite white, which practically glowed compared to her dark skin. Her crazy hair was tied back, keeping it out of her smiling face. Do you mind if I help you? You seem pretty worthless right now. I'm tired, too. I can't imagine how you feel after walking nearly 50 kilometers in two days for the first time. I'm pretty used to it. Again, Lanny nodded and grunted, but this time rolled over so she could reach her boots. Lanny stretched her entire boots, but Cass, pu- Cass pushed her back. I can do that for you. Just relax. Lanny flopped back, too tired to argue. To say she can do it herself. For once, stubbornness lost out to exhaustion. Cass gently removed, Lan- removed Lanny's boots, then socks. She quickly ran her hands over Lanny's feet, her blisters too big to allow Cass to rub them. Cass looked at Lanny, not quite sure if she was asleep or, or not yet. She wanted to help or be more comfortable, but didn't want to overstep any boundaries by undressing her without asking. Cass watched Lainey sleep soundlessly for a few minutes before she shook her head and grabbed the blanket again. She covered Lainey and again gave her a quick kiss goodnight on her forehead and slunk out of the tent. Lainey's lips curled into a smile and she fell asleep for real. Lainey woke the next day to a cacophony of noises outside her tent. Just as she was strapping on her boots, trying to ignore the pain of the blisters, a huge brown hand swept the tent flap aside. Lanny snatched up her tonto, nearly slicing the fingers off, only holding back when the large bull face appeared. We've got trouble. Time to get to work, Brutus said before disappearing back outside. Trouble? Lanny wondered frantically as she threw on her other boot. What kind of trouble could we have first thing in the morning? Lanny's mind raced through all the possibilities of different attackers she should prepare herself for as she exited her tent. None of her ideas were even close. People were rushing all over the place, carrying goods and belongings from cart to cart. She looked around and noticed there was blood on the ground. A lot of blood. Lainey grabbed the nearest person and asked what had happened. Something snuck up on us in the night. Killed half the jorays, the man cried. Lainey thought his name was Max or Manx or something similar. He was armed and armored, but was carrying a large basket of cloth. We're trying to move everything to the few vans the jorays can pull, but there are sounds in the woods. Grab something and help. The man took off towards an open cart to deposit his goods. Lenny looked about and saw everyone doing the same, or hastily taking down tents. Outside all the bustle, she saw Nash at his usual spot atop the pride and joy. After watching for a moment, she saw the rest of the protectors milling about outside of the camp, all looking out towards the woods. She saw Brutus and jogged over to him. A bit of a mess, huh? Something big ambushed us. We're in a lot of trouble. Brutus answered without taking his eyes off the surrounding forest. Lainey noted his shock baton crackled with the electric energy in his hand. We'll be okay. Everyone is on guard now. We'll get the stuff moved and be back on our way. Guess we'll need to improve the night watch. Yeah, that's the thing. This time he turned away from the forest to look Lainey in the eye. It was my fault. I took your shift and fell asleep. This is all because of me. Lainey's heart sank. It wasn't Brutus's fault. Who could be expected to walk for so long and take two watch shifts? It was her fault. 
If she hadn't been so tired and selfish, maybe she would have stayed awake after a nap and would have been able to sound the alarm when whatever it was showed up. I know what you're thinking, but it was my fault and mine alone. I offered to take your spot. You did nothing wrong. I thought I could make it through the night, but obviously that wasn't the case. Das hasn't said anything yet to me. Brutus trailed off, clearly deeply upset with himself. Lanny patted him on one of his huge shoulders. Movement! Hash called from the top of his perch, pointing to the forest directly in front of Lanny and Brutus. Maybe I can make amends by protecting the van now, Brutus said almost to himself. He hefted a shock baton, and the light blue glow of the power coils lit his face like a demon. He took two steps towards the forest, leaving the path. The glow of the baton lit an area around him, casting an eerie blue glow. Lainey tightened the grip on her tonto and followed one pace behind, half a pace of Brutus's left, guarding a blind spot. The two slowly made their way into the woods to the north. Even in the darkness of the thick foliage, they could see the movement in the trees. Something was pushing them, causing a ripple effect through the forest. Brutus advanced cautiously, taking each step carefully and methodically. He scanned the forest thoroughly before continuing. Don't be such a scaredy bull. Lanny shoved past him. Whatever it was didn't even go after the people, just the Jorays. They can't be that scary. Just being cautious. Something you might want to learn someday. Lanny rolled her eyes and plowed ahead. Show yourselves, you cowards. Those Jorays were defenseless, but we aren't. Enough! Brutus grabbed Lanny by the shoulder. You might not be scared of anything, but you have no idea what's out there. You're just being wrecked. Brutus didn't get to finish his thought. Something large tackled him to the ground. Lanny leapt upon the thing, stabbing with her tonto. The creature howled in pain and anger. The creature was big, bigger than Brutus, and was covered in coarse, shaggy fur. Lanny tried to stab it again, but slid off. The fur was covered in a slick oil that made it hard to get a grip on. The thing rolled its head around and snapped at Lanny. Luckily, her reflexes were quicker than most, and she rolled out of the way. The thing had a huge head with a short jaws, but massive teeth that stuck out in all directions. A ranrack! Someone shouted from the caravan. Lanny had no idea what that meant, but it sounded like the person was scared. Lanny wasn't sure why. This thing was big, sure, but she already heard it with her small blade. And Brutus was standing, bringing a shock baton to bear. Lanny lunged at the quadruped to distract it as Brutus wound up a two-handed swing with his baton. The Renrex snapped at Lanny again and was completely oblivious to the powerful minotaur behind it. Brutus stepped into a swing and smashed the baton into the Renrex's head, splintering teeth and knocking the creature to the ground. Lanny took half a moment to study the creature. It was four-legged, not unlike a cat, but easily eight feet long, and an even longer lashing tail. Before she could leap onto the thing again, Dart appeared, massive greatsword in hand. Dart brought the blade down in a killing arc, nearly severing the head of the Renrex with one mighty blow. Lanny looked up at the large warrior woman with a mix of awe and annoyance. Could have finished it, Lanny thought. Well fought. We need you at the front. Dart said passively before she turned and jogged back towards the van. Must be more of the things. The two took off after Dart, sweaty, bruised, and bloody, but ready to go. Their blood fired up. Thank you for the help. Your distraction worked well. I'm always impressed with your bravery. It was nothing. That thing wasn't so bad. It just got the jump on us. Brutus nodded, and the duo continued past the carts towards the sounds of fighting. They found the rest of the Renrex without problem. Four of them had attacked the head of the caravan where most of the Jorys had survived their earlier ambush. Creatures were hideous in the lighted path. Their fur was red with black stripes, mottled and patchy. Some exposed skin seemed almost diseased. Long whip tails swung back and forth, the ends of bony spur. Their mouths were horrific maws full of teeth and slobber that had opened impossibly wide. Just before Brutus and Lanny entered the clearing the carts had been in for the night, Lanny saw Renrick close his mouth on a man, engulfing him completely. His screams didn't last long. Brutus and Lanny threw themselves into the fray without a second thought. Brutus started off by ramming into the closest Renrick, goring it with his long horns. 
Lainey followed up by sliding under the stumbling beast, slashing at its underbelly as she passed by it. The creature was enraged by the pain, thrashing about with its forelimbs, its tail switching back and forth, trying to catch anything behind it. Brutus grappled it around the neck, as far as he could reach, and nodded to Lainey, who regained her feet. She took her cue without missing a beat and raced forwards, stabbing her tanto down between the thing's eyes. The blade slid through fur and bone, almost as if it wasn't there, into the monster's skull. The redneck slumped down, unmoving. Lainey scanned the area to see where they were needed most. Orthel had one Renrek trapped in a dark orb of void magic while Dart hacked it to pieces with her great sword. Nash flapped around from cart to cart, peppering another with a crossbow, infuriating and confusing it. Dasta was ready to finish it off once Nash ran out of bolts. Cass was keeping the third beast at bay with her longsword, slashing at its face each time it lunged at her. Lenny rushed over to help her. Her shield arm was bleeding profusely, and her swings were getting weaker as the Renrek toyed with her. Brutus was stuck. The last Renrek they felt landed on one of his arms, and even Brutus's great strength was having a hard time moving it. He waved Lanny on. I'll be out in a moment. Help her first. Lanny wasn't sure how to best handle this one. It was smaller than the others, but its fur appeared thicker, fewer patches of it missing. Distracting it until Brutus was free was likely her best option. She knew Cass wouldn't hold it, couldn't hold it in place so she could stab it between the eyes again. She had to come up with another plan. That plan popped into Lainey's head quickly as she ran towards the four-legged beast. Cass saw Lainey running over to help and lunged with her longsword. The runner stepped back, unaware of Lainey coming up behind it. She skidded to a halt and grabbed the tail of the beast. With a lightning-fast slash, she removed the tail with her tanto. The beast howled in response. Its wails of anger and pain were near deafening. Cass wasted no time in her response. The Renrek opened its gaping maw wide to cry out, and Cass lunged forward, spearing with her sword. The blade pierced the top of the monster's mouth, cutting right through to its brain. The Renrek's eyes closed, and the beast fell to the ground, its howl cut short by Cass's deadly aim. Lanny hopped over the thing's legs to get to Cass. The girl was trying to wrench her blade free from the inside of the Renrek, but Lanny nearly bowled her over with a hug. Mighty kind of ya. We got it. It was like you knew what my plan was. It worked perfectly. I had an inkling. I wasn't sure why you were running behind it at first, but it made a lot of sense once you grabbed the tail. Those things are wicked. Cass looked down at her bleeding arm. There was a deep gash from her shoulder muscle, almost to her elbow. Her shield hung slack at her side. Damn thing cut my muscle here. I can't lift my shield. Can you help me take it off? Lainey lifted the steel and wooden shield off of Cass's arm, who sighed with great relief once the pain and pressure the thing was causing subsided. Lainey finally looked around again to see if anyone else needed help. Dart and Orthel had finished off their beast no problem. Dasta was cleaning his sword from felling his, but he was also bleeding. Nash was helping Brutus move the last Renrek off the Minotaur's arm. Lainey nodded to Cass and jogged over to help. She saw Dart was making her way in the same direction as well. Brutus was heaving with all his might, trying to bench-press the beast off of him. The Renrek was moving slowly, inching away from Brutus's body as the Minotaur gleamed with sweat. Dart's long legs allowed her to reach Brutus first. She squatted down, grabbed the monster, and heaved with her legs. The Renrek shifted enough to allow Brutus to clamber out from under it, pushing off the ground with his hooves. Dart strained to hold on long enough for Brutus to move himself out of the way. As soon as he was clear, Dart let go with a huge exhale of exhaustion. The Renrek smashed back to the ground, sending up a puff of dirt. Brutus flopped back to the ground as well, breathing heavily but seemingly unhurt. Dasta appeared at his side and kicked Brutus in the ribs, hard. Brutus grunted and rolled over on his side to get up. We will speak later, Dasta said and stomped away. I feel like we've met our first monsters in the wild. Ooh, those are nasty little suckers. I mean, they're not little, but... Well, I mean, 
whatever. They are nasty. I tried to make them kind of scary and gross. And, like, I like that they're, like, they sound, like, mangy and diseased. Like, gross. Like, patchy and, like, icky hair. And then, um, you know, when Lanny tries to jump on the one and it describes it as being, like, oily fur. Yeah. So she can't grab a hold. Ugh. Yeah, I like that image. Gross. I thought that was cool. I like Renrex. Uh, pictures I've drawn of them just kind of for fun. I say their mouths are open and possibly wide. I like to think of it like uh, Blade 2. Okay. With those vampires, like they open yeah. their mouth and their mouth like opens more. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, Very so they cool. have, um, if anybody's listening, plays 40K, know of a mall lock so, yeah, from that's... Tyranids, where like their, their bottom jaw just like opens up more, like, Bigger than it should, and it's just this huge mouth. So, like, I mean, one dude got just eaten alive. He got yeah. ate. Yeah, he got et. Yeah. Which is too bad. That's scary. Edited. <laughs> he got edited. 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 But yeah, edited. so we met our first monsters. Uh, marauders are robots. It's a little bit different. These are, and, and marauders are really squatch like. <laughs> Two and these with giant these are, mouths, right? Oh, yeah, Red Rex have big mouths. They're kind of like Sasquatch. They're covered uh, in fur too. Super rude. Wow. <laughs> For you to make that link. Wow. Shots fired. That link should have remained missing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good God. one. That's good. Love it. I feel there's a lot of little developments in this chapter. Oh um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Cass likes feet. She yeah, is, super she's into it. She's, it's so sweet. And, like, as a person who, like, when I spend a lot of time on my feet, like, that is the number one thing. I'm like, will you please just rub my feet? Like, I get it. Um, I can't imagine how Lanny's feet must feel right now. Like, walking, what, 10 kilometers a day? Or, so, or 50 or 50? something? 50 yeah, I looked up. I, I looked up, like, what could be reasonable. So it's 50, 50 kilometers over the first two days. Now, so, roughly 25 kilometers a day. So 50 kilometers, 5K is three miles. So it's like it's a like 30K? 30. Or 30 miles, sorry. <laughs> 30 miles. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to look that up real quick. Uh, 31 miles, yeah. To walk 31 in miles. In a day. Or that's over two days. Over, over the two days. days. So, so 15, about 15, 15, 15 and a half, half miles a day walking. Which, like, remember when we were in Seattle and one of the first days we walked 11 we miles? We walked 11 miles and that took a, a long day. time. And my whole body hurt. I was exhausted, yeah. yeah so she did it was crazy. more than that for two days straight. Yeah. So, and yeah. Does the caravan travel at walking pace or are they, like, walking slower than three miles an hour because the caravan? takes longer to move. No, I imagine it goes three or four miles three an hour. Miles, but still. It was a typical like walking pace. five hours of street walking. Yeah. Because I, I imagined when I was planning out like how long it would take them to go, how far they were going to go, um, I imagine they basically just get going as soon yeah. as they're done eating and they pack up like their tents and whatnot probably by eight in the morning yeah. and they would march, they would just go march basically until a lunch break, which would be like, they wouldn't set up camp They'd have, like, I think I, desc- I described it in an earlier chapter where they, like, hand out, like, um, just, like, bread and sausage kind of thing. And, like, you kind of, you stop and eat. But there's briefly. no, like, cooking fire. Right. They don't set up all yeah. that kind of stuff. The, yeah. the lunch is, like, a working lunch. <laughs> and then they just go until they, either it's almost night or until they see a decent spot to set up camp. Yeah. Because I, I imagine it's a lot like... Um, in the Oregon Trail we talked about a couple episodes ago where like if they can they'll put the caravans in like a ring so they can be inside it yeah um 
but that's not usually an option when you're traveling through the woods. Also, like Oregon Trail, they just procured 450 pounds of Renrack meat. <laughs> I don't know, though. It was like weird. Like Danny said, that they look kind of almost diseased. Would you want to eat that? I mean, diseased meat. As long as there's not too many toppings or condiments on it as a burger. Right. If there's no yes. greasy lettuce or tomato on top, I'll give it a go. <laughs> I'd be more, in, I think the people who are interested in eating the jorys that the Renrex killed. True. Oh, yeah. Very like, true. But if know. they're diseased and they bit it, now it's like, oh, it's got my germs. Yeah, they also yeah. bit Cass. Or it may have been one of those, their tail spur. Yeah. Man, I hate tail spurs. Yeah, me too. I forget. We just saw the cast say what she just said. They cut me, right? Yeah, she got a cut. Um, Damn thing, cut my muscle here. This might be. They cut st- me right in my muscle. I think the important thing here is that if between Brutus and uh, Lonnie, if they had like a single extra person, um, the chances of them being able to spot the Renrex before they got attacked would have been uh, almost inevitable. Uh, Brutus would have been able to get more sleep. Lonnie would have been able to sleep for a night. And, and Jork obviously would have saved the caravan. <laughs> um, Tim, someday I want you to do a fan fiction where Jork just joined them instead of staying back at his tavern. Yeah. Uh, I got good news for you. <laughs> <laughs> and like one of the one of his motivators could be like he needs to prove himself because of that lost spine. Yeah. You know, so he's like, yeah. I don't I don't want people to like, you know, throw me the softballs, like get me out there on the first watch. Yeah. I'm ready. And he's he was described as a smaller orc when Lanny went to Garum, so he something that like I'm still strong and tough yeah yeah even though I'm not you know as big as other orcs <laughs> I thought you were gonna say even though I'm not as alive as other orcs <laughs> oh wow rude missed, missed opportunity there oh no <laughs> to be fair honestly um he's the biggest jork I've ever known <laughs> <laughs> true oh, very true mother jorker right um so yeah unfortunately no jork in this episode or other episodes in the future <laughs> Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's why you listen to the uh, the opening and the closing of every episode. Is you'll get you'll get some jork there. I promise you. <laughs> right, so we'll fit it in. That's for sure. Um, so with the marauders bearing down the caravan and and the wanderer close on their heels, curious and what do you think is going to happen, Tim? What's your prediction? So actually, and this may have been mentioned before, but usually I'm oblivious. Um, the marauders, they're going to eat the caravan in some way. They refer to it as sustenance. Yeah. Like, they don't have mouths, though. No? Not like a squatch. Like a squatch would be able to eat them. But um, so how do they? <laughs> a squatch would go om nom nom. Right. All so, up in that caravan. <laughs> so what do the marauders live off of again? Is like their life force? They drain it or what's the deal? Something like that. We don't know yet. Not too much. Okay. I can't remember what exactly Cass described at this point, because, like, I know all about them, of course. <laughs> right. So, I did have a blog post about them a few weeks ago. I, I read that, um, but everyone should go back and read that, mm-hmm. um, and I don't want to spoil that blog post for you. <laughs> read it um, on your own. <laughs> yeah. So, here's my thought, I guess, on, on what I think is going to happen. I think the Wanderer will probably take a quick power nap, uh, catch up a little bit, take a couple more down. I don't think he'll get all of them in time before the Marauders catch up to the caravan. Mm. And then, obviously, um, the way that the Marauders um, and Madalagawega... Is that right? Madalagawega. I I didn't pronounce the G hard enough. (laughs) Like, I knew it was there. 
But um, they're going to catch up to the caravan. Uh, they are going to need to um, eat them. They don't have mouths, so they will um, <laughs> paralyze them with their paralyzation uh, beam. Ooh. And then they will boil them into a slurry. Um, they will pump the slurry into preformed shapes. There's one that kind of looks like a boot and one that kind of looks like a rock and one that kind of looks like an oblate spheroid with a couple of ridges. Uh, they will then batter and deep fry them um, and then um, grind them up again a second time and put them directly into their shoots. <laughs> so you just described chicken McNuggets. I did. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they're going to grind them up and turn them into slop. Oh, no. So I thought you were going with that. Gotcha. Uh, Is that how they make slop? We don't know. Oh, whoa. <gasps> do, th- do the marauders eat people and poop slop? <laughs> is that is that a marauder byproduct? That sounds pretty cool. Ooh, that does I don't sound know really cool. Dude, my fan fiction is going to get ramped up. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I would ask what your prediction is, Danny, but you, you've read know. it. You know what happens. I don't know. Everybody dies. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, look like George R. R. Martin. <laughs> it's kind of a nice reversal because in the other podcast that we do, I've seen the whole series of the Tiger King, and mm, you guys right? experience it, and then we talk about it. Yeah. Um, and this is like that. This is a little bit of a role reversal. Yeah. yeah. Tim reads the chapter, and then we do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we flip it and reverse it. Um, which I Go like. Down with <laughs> <laughs> which I like that because then I can ask questions like that. So yeah. like, yeah. you might have prediction. Other people might have predictions. You can always um, let us know what your predictions are on social media. Check out. Yeah, Twitter's a great place to leave predictions. You can send, you mm-hmm. know, tweet. Yeah. Um, tag me at Dan underscore HDH. You can check out the Facebook.com slash Dan Cole author. Uh, I mentioned before, DanColeAuthor.com is the home of the blog that comes out every other Thursday opposite this podcast. Also have an Instagram now. I've been pretty prolific on um, Dan 3 on there. Um, and then now that Big Fiction Energy is part of the professional casual network of podcasts you can check out professionalcasual.com which is we got a whole bunch of awesome stuff there we have the show about tiger king the space between presents i saw a tiger that danny hosts does a great job yeah, thank you We've got the space between um that this point is me and tim talking about video games mostly we're going to add uh more stuff about comics with more people We've got um, the Elite Eight Showdown with Big Chuck and Tim. Yeah. Uh, Tim's going to describe that a little bit for us. So uh, Elite Eight Showdown is a tournament bracket show where we take eight um, contestants based around a singular theme. That theme could be anything from um, cult classic Nintendo 64 games to the person you'd least likely like to date your daughter. Um, And we go head-to-head with each one, and we pick a winner. There's also a uh, backyard throwdown. At the start of each episode, uh, the current reigning champion is 1980s era Betty White. Um, she's now three episodes in. Isn't uh, she also wearing Iron Man armor? Yeah. Or is that a spoiler? No, I mean, that is a little <laughs> bit of a spoiler, but yes, yeah, she is in fact wearing um, Iron Man uh, movie replica Ooh. cosplay armor. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. I thought she was legit wearing like Mark 42 Iron Man armor. <laughs> Not to uh, spoil anything, but. Um, there, there may be an episode where she is wearing the actual Tony Stark Iron Man armor. She won't get an upgrade? She might get I mean, an if upgrade. If anybody deserves to wear Iron Man armor, Honestly, it's Betty give White. it to Betty White. Charlie may have embezzled a whole bunch of funds um, <laughs> to give it to Betty White for that particular episode, but we shot it today, and uh, yeah, she will 
Good for her. She'll be in it. Sounds awesome. Um, well, if you are digging the podcast that we're creating here, we'd love any kind of help and support. The biggest thing to do would be to check out the Professional Casuals Patreon. Mm-hmm. Patreon.com slash Professional Casual. Also, if you... Um, don't want to wait two weeks between episodes and want to find out what happens in in Lainey, the girl without fear. You can get it on Amazon as an ebook, or you can order a uh, print to order, print on demand. That's what it's called, paperback. Pod. Pod. You know pod. Yo, you know certainly no pos. Right. I don't think. No. <laughs> it's not property of Sony. <laughs> no. No, sir. All right. Well, thanks for checking out chapter nine. Obviously, up next is chapter ten. Called ruins. Ooh, a little bit. Ruins. Of, it was ruined. Uh, ruins. Ruined. <laughs> All right. A big shout out and thanks to our friends down at the Dixie Pig. And you know, go then. There are other worlds than these. All right. So a rock over Cairo. Rock over Springfield, Massachusetts. Summer's Eve. Kid tested. Mother approved. Mm-hmm.